I want to share something, and let me say right at the very beginning that I may say things that you're not used to hearing. It's possible, especially if you are new to our Zoom meetings. Um, but uh, just hear me out. Please don't walk out if I say something that you've never heard before. Wouldn't it be stupid to come to a meeting where you know everything is going to be said? Um, that's the, the joy of um, coming to the Word of God. You never know what's coming next. And so I want to uh, look at um, Luke 15, and especially to the parable of the lost sheep, which is the first. Now, if you've been around me for long, you know that I continually refer to this chapter. I discovered this chapter when I was in my early teens, and it arrested me, and I've talked about that before. But I have been meditating on this one chapter for the last 70 plus years. And I think, what do they say? You've got to give something 10,000 hours before you know what you're talking about. Well, I, I think I've filled 10,000 hours just on this one chapter. And so let me read and... Well, I'm going to miss out the first part. We've been here so many times. But it says in verse 3, And he told them, that's important, he had an audience. And that audience was the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And he told them this parable, saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the open pasture, Go after the one which is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And now the verse isn't talked about very much. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And let me say right now, again, if you've not been with us recently, that word repent is the most wicked translation of the Greek word. It came about um, under the pressure of religion in the 12th century. And um, in, in our fellowship, we avoid using the word repent. Repent means, the English word repent means to do penance over and over and over again in order to earn your place with God. That is wicked. For the word there in the Greek is metanoia. And there's really not one word in English to translate it. But metanoia means a radical change of mind. It means an enlightenment that changes everything. And... Um, so that's the meaning of that word. So over one sinner who metanoia, than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There are two things in that story that we have never talked about directly before, nor have I heard anybody really talk directly about it. And the first is what I just emphasized. Jesus said at the end of that parable, that joy in heaven over the sinner who metanoia. 
He puts that at the end of the story. And the question is, why does he do that? What is he talking about? The second thing, in every story of that chapter, there's this story of the lost sheep, then there's the lost coin, and then there's the lost two boys. Every one of them ends either with this, rejoice with me, or it ends as in the last section with an absolute uh, village-wide feast of celebration. Um, there's music, there's dancing, there's the fatted calf, and it is a great feast. And what is this feast? Because it's common to each story. And therefore, whatever the stories are talking about, you are going to come back to this feast. That's where the point is. So whether it's a sheep or a coin or boys, it points to the feast. That's how the story ends. And in the last story, which is of the elder brother, um, it becomes the massive thing on which the whole parable ends, that the boy will not go into the feast. So those two things. And the first one, it says, there's joy in heaven over a sinner who metanoia. Well, what is he talking about? He's been talking about a lost sheep that was found. Now, obviously, this isn't a continuation of the parable, because otherwise you've got something very awkward. You've got a sheep who is having metanoia. That's ridiculous. Um, the sheep does not kneel down and say, glory to God, I've seen something. No, it's a sheep, and that's the story, and that's what the story is given. And he says now, you've heard the story, you've heard the story. Now, if only you see, if you have metanoia, what that story is talking about, then that's going to change your life, and there's joy in heaven over one person who gets it. Metanoia, the sinner. What is a sinner? Um Essentially, it's a person who is out of sync with their blueprint. We, we were created for one purpose and one purpose only. Go back to the very beginning and the blueprint by which we are created. It is expounded in more than one place in the New Testament, but especially in Ephesians 1, where it says that we were created essentially that in Christ we should be adopted or placed into the family of the Holy Trinity. That is our blueprint. A sinner is someone who is out of sync with that. They've missed the point. They've lost their way and are now in this intense darkness. It's that person that he's addressing this whole story to. Well, it says that he told the story to them, them being the religious leaders, the Pharisees. That's who he was talking to. Now, he says, if they would see what that whole story is really saying, how does that story hit you and wake you up and realize in a blaze of God's glorious light that my whole life has got to be turned upside down? That, that's, that's the story. You see, this story of the sheep and shepherd, which I'm not telling because I think every one of us have read it a thousand times, um, but that story of the sheep and the shepherd is the story of the grace 
of the Lord Jesus as he was sent by the Father to find us. It is grace that is unlimited gifting. It is the enlightening of the Holy Spirit by which we experience this seeing. It's a radical mind change, a mind change concerning who God is. And once I understand who God really is in the light that Jesus shows him, then I understand myself. My, my, my understanding of me and my place in this world um, all depends on how I understand the being of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and so he is saying this radical mind change. I see myself. I see myself um, in a, a desperate need for this grace that comes to us through Jesus. Um, and, and don't just sit back and say, I've heard that before. Um, I want to, th this story is, it's blasting itself at me that this is the way God is. This is God's MO. I'm never going to know him at any point in life until I get this. This is who he is. This is what it's all about. And I only know him as I discover his grace, his givingness to everyone, which places us all on a level ground. There, there's no one who can say, you need grace, but I don't. There's no point in life where I say, I can handle this myself. This is the foundational fact in this simple little story. The sheep was helpless to save itself. It had absolutely nothing to do with the initiative of the shepherd to go and find it. It was not a bargaining process by which the sheep said, I do this and you do that. The sheep is 101% helpless. And the shepherd of his own initiative, an initiative of a strange shepherd's love for his sheep, goes into the wilderness, comes where the sheep is, and when he's sharing the lostness of the sheep, he picks it up and puts it on his shoulder and carries it home. That's the story. And Jesus said, that's the grace. Every one of us live there. It's, it's not a story of getting saved, because that would put it way back somewhere, and that would be it. No, this is a way of life. This is the metanoia. I see it. This is the only way to live my life in relation to the Holy Trinity. Every one of us, every one of us has this desperate need of grace, of the giftingness of God. Every one of us looks at each one of us and says we're on the same ground. No one of us are ahead of the other. Because that kills the religion of the Pharisees because their oxygen was comparison. I thank you, O God, I'm not as other men. Um, there but for the grace of God go I. But no, I. No, we're all breathing the same air of the grace of God. That God himself in Christ is giving himself to save us without any help from us at all. Metanoia. To see God as God knows God to be, which means 
Only Jesus can share it with us. He is he who came from God, for he is God. And he came to explain to us, exegete to us, the very character of God. The first result of metanoia is not a promise to do good. See, now that's where the English translation repentance just departs the whole revelation of God. Because repentance has got in it that uh, groveling, I'm unworthy, I did something terrible, and I beat my breast, I say, oh God, have mercy, God, have mercy, I promise I'll never do that again. I, I won't drink any beer for Lent. I mean, th- this is this is it. No, that's your English word, which doesn't belong in the gospel. The Greek word is different. It's a light shining in my mind that turns all my thoughts upside down. And and can you understand me? It doesn't metanoia doesn't bring me to say I'm bad and I promise to be good, and and I'll do anything you want me to do in order to be good. That's no metanoia. Never is. When the light shines, this story tells us that it causes us to abandon, to turn away from all efforts to be good enough to save myself. Do do you get that? It, It doesn't come shining on all the bad things I've done. It comes shining on the insult of the broken, fallen human that I'm going to do something that will enable me to be accepted by you. In the light, I see my whole problem is my independence. My whole problem is that I've tried by my own willpower to save myself or to do this walk that is is walk in the spirit, it's walk in Christ, but I've tried to achieve it myself. Um, I I leave the big stuff for that, but the little stuff of day, I I don't do it. that's, That's metanoia. And when I abandon that and take my place as my abiding place, that I'm helpless then that's the beginning of all the joy that this is about. You see, the the enlightenment begins. There's a day when it hits us. It's a revelation of the Holy Spirit. But it continues in a continual discovery into the heart of God, to know God as God knows God, which at the same time is a, a journey into my own heart to discover who I am. So, Metanoia transforms every part of life, not as a groveling, but as more as a wow. I I have come to see who he is, and that changes my life. Every thought, I can't think like I used to think. Every attitude, every decision we make now is all turning to be in sync with this revelation that we have of God. Uh, the mirror um, paraphrase puts it um, that the the one that is it, it's talking about the sinner who has this metanoia. It says that one who is out of sync person, 
who awakens now to their authentic identity. They've discovered themselves. And so, you see, Jesus says that at the end of the parable. It's as if he's saying, did anybody relate to the sheep? Did, did anybody see the helplessness of the sheep? Did, did anyone see the absolute allness of the shepherd? Did anyone, did anyone get it? Did you, did you get it that the sheep didn't lift a hoof in order to get a relationship with the shepherd? In fact, doing quite the reverse. When you see that and you snuggle down into it, then that is the day of great joy. And it will continue to be as you live there. I remember the day I saw that. I've shared it with you before. Um, where, where Jesus said to the rich young ruler, um, well, the disciples said, who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with men, it's impossible. That was the most freeing statement that I made um, early in my Christian life. With men, it is impossible. Thank God. You know, thank God that it is impossible from my human willpower to be saved. What a relief. I felt honestly like shouting it from the housetops. It's impossible. It's impossible. The only possible is, as he goes on to say, with God, all things are possible. And we've taken that to mean many, many things, but it's talking specifically of this. It's saying the sheep could not save itself, didn't even really want to, uh, because his brain was screwed up. Um, you know, a, a, a great darkness had descended upon it, and it was a, a baptism into stupid. And, and the, that, that's about what, it, you know, there's an insanity about sin that is beyond logic. And, and I mean, it's impossible. Impossible. I love the word, impossible. You snuggle down into it, it's absolutely impossible, so I'm not going to try. And that's metanoia. I, I, I'm no longer even going to try to call on my own willpower. That's the story of this. And that's the beginning of great joy. Well, it was the metanoia that led to this rejoicing. And as I say, the first two parables use that. Rejoice with me, rejoice. The shepherd said it, the woman said it in the second parable. Um, it's very definitely, if you read the Old Testament, it was a Hebrew word used for extreme celebration uh, when they're in worship of God. And it actually means literally to leap in the air and spin around for joy. Um, I was going to Israel one time and I was going by El Al out of JFK and there was a, a lot of rabbis there. And I, I don't know, I, I, I missed it, I guess, whatever started it. But suddenly, from an unknown source, um, they leaped to their feet, all of them at the same time. And they linked their arms and they began spinning around the whole uh, departure area. And they were shouting, we're going to Jerusalem, we're going to Jerusalem. And they leaped in the air, these old rabbis. And, and I thought, that's it, that, that's this word. That's this word, to rejoice. 
Um, but it was always associated then with celebration and a celebration that had food attached to it and dancing and singing and which is brought out at the last parable when, when okay rejoice rejoice that's parables one and two but the when he comes to the prodigal son they kill the fatted calf he puts on the garments of praise and joy and they go into the feast and of course interestingly uh, that became the dividing point. The elder brother refuses to go into the feast. Uh, that's interesting. The feast stands there with such an impact on the whole parable that the Pharisee, who's represented in, in the elder brother, is repulsed by the feast and absolutely refuses. He will not go in. And he's standing outside, or to use this phrase from other parables the outer darkness um outer darkness means that there's all the lights are shining and everybody's singing and dancing and feasting in there and you're outside and if you, there's light there and there's not here this is always darker than it would be normally and, and so you're in an outer you're outside and, and you're, you're in this outer darkness and sometimes they add the words with weeping and gnashing of teeth which means extreme rage, gnashing of teeth. Um, that, that's a, a rage of frustration that I, I can't change things. Uh, and I, I want to do something physical about it. I'm, I'm weeping with anger, um, out of darkness. I don't know what's going on in there, but I hate it. And I stand against it. What is this feast that so enrages the mind of humans. But when you've had metanoia, you are ready to be taken to the feast. Do you get that? It's important. I'm not pushing this. You read, I'll give you 10,000 hours. You, you read this story over and over and over again, and it keeps coming up. The whole story is moving, it's like a funnel. It's coming down to the feast. And the same as, and especially with the necklace or the, the coin, um, because the coin would be worth about 10 cents today. And it was only because of its place alongside 10 other 10 cents that made it a very sacred necklace to the woman. Um, but even so, you, you almost have to smile. The woman is going absolutely nuts. She's, she's found this little coin that she had lost. And all she can do is shout up and down the street, bang on doors, come rejoice, rejoice with me. I found my coin. And that's it. That's the story. It all funnels down to a feast that on first sight, we, we have to wonder what's going on. And, and similarly, the, the, the younger son coming home and, and the father hugs him and tells him, you are my son. And you would think, well, that's enough. Surely that's enough. The boy has been obviously forgiven and accepted, but it's not enough. That was, that was the metanoia because the son hadn't got a clue of his father's love. And he's only now beginning to feel it in the embrace and the kisses all over. And then, then, well, this is it. They go into the feast and he says they began to be merry. Merriness, loud singing, the smell of roast beef on the air. And then, then you get, you know, the elder brother. 
There's a lot of things he could be upset about, which he, if you read the story, he makes it known. But the finale is, and it is the finale, we're down to the last verses. We're baited breath. What's going to happen here? And he goes and he refuses to go into the feast. That's it. And the father comes out. But what's the father's word to him? It is necessary that you come in to this feast. And and I think we've talked about it before. The word necessary usually has attached to it a divine decree. Uh, Jesus used the word, he said, it is necessary that he is um, put into the hands of wicked men and crucified. It is necessary. It's a divine decree. It's not just a happening. Okay, so here's a meal that has tremendous importance. That you, you've come to the end of your rope. You know your helplessness. You, you, you know you're dependent entirely upon the grace of the Good Shepherd. So where do we go from here? Rejoice with me. Let's go to a party. And in that party, celebrate relationship where the lamb on his neck is the honored guest. Look at it. Uh, Have you ever thought that the shepherd would bear in his person his going into the wilderness? Because it was a dangerous place for the sheep to be, but it was also a very dangerous place for a human to be. Humans wouldn't go into the wilderness. In fact, the uh, Jewish people of that day had a lot of superstition about the wilderness. Uh, First of all, it was the place where the scapegoat went in the Old Testament. And so carrying the sin, condemnation, and guilt of the nation. They said, you go into the wilderness, you're going to meet the scapegoat. And they believed, be it right or wrong, it's neither here, this is what they believed, that demons would go and fill the wilderness, waiting for assignments to come and torment humankind. So the place of guilt and shame, condemnation, the place of demonic, and of course then it was a dangerous place anyway, um, with it, with its ravines and uh, unmapped territory, uh, a place where you're going to starve very easily, certainly a place you'll thirst very, very easily, the wilderness. But that's very dangerous for a sheep because there are predators there too. But for the shepherd to go in after the sheep, the shepherd to go exactly where the sheep is, shepherd to go into the sheep's outer darkness until he could put his hand on it. I don't think I'm pushing the story when I say that he bore in his person, his torn clothes from the burrs that ripped him um, blood on his hands and feet and he's falling in the ravines. It's all very possible that he bore the marks of all that he suffered in order to get where the sheep was. He overcame the wilderness for the sheep. And he comes where the sheep is. And now they're going into the feast. And the shepherd looks just exactly like he is. He looks like someone that has fought with the wilderness to get to the sheep. So here is your best friend, the shepherd, bearing the marks of his love on his person that cost him to get to you. 
This is the necessary feast. What is that meal that crops up in every parable? Well, I'll tell you what the early church said, and they should know. They said that it was what we do every Sunday, the Eucharist. It was the feast of rejoicing. It's the feast of thanksgiving. That's what the word means in Greek, um, the great thanksgiving. And so rejoice with me. Rejoice with me. It's the feast of grace. It's the feast of bringing persons all down to a common level that we are dependent, utterly helpless, living by receiving the grace of God. And we come together to that. This was so important in the earliest church, by which I mean um, early centuries. This isn't something of weeks or months. Centuries that if you came to Christ, um, you were baptized. Well, that's, that's another story. But when you came from baptism, they would take you, while you're still wet with water, into the body of the church who were now celebrating the Eucharist. And the very first thing, the, the person now newly baptized, they were taken. And at that point in the service, um, and we do it every Sunday, where um, the command goes out, let us be bold to say, our Father. And now they're saying to the new convert, be bold. You can now call him Father. And you know you're his child, and Abba, Father, is on your lips. It was the meal that everything moved to. It wasn't the, oh, I guess it's Communion Sunday. Um, we better do something. No, this was the way in. You, you came out of the darkness, and you went through the symbolic Holy Spirit-inspired act uh, of, of, I am crucified with Christ. I am risen with Christ. And I come out of the water, and they pour oil on my head to say the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And now, with, with trembling hands, they go into the Eucharist. And that sounds very much like this set of stories. It all funnels down to, to that. That's where it is. Um, and of course, religion hates this meal. Hates it. Because it doesn't fit with all the laws of legalism. You cannot participate in the Eucharist, giving thanks to God for his love, his initiative, his grace, that we haven't got anything to do with except to say thank you. The great thanksgiving. The meal in which the Father continually gives his love. The Father in which he feeds and sustains the rescued sheep. dependent on grace and we all look at each other and there's nobody above the other each say thanks be to God for the grace by which I stand so the point of the story then is not that he saves the sheep out of the wilderness it doesn't and of course if it was up to date 
we we would expect the shepherd to beat up the sheep for getting lost um but it was nothing to do with punishment at all he went into the wilderness not only to save the sheep but to bring that sheep back into a position where it had that relationship with the shepherd and actually the the a better translation there is lamb as opposed to sheep um and a lamb is a lot easier to put around your neck than a heavy sheep. And anyway, sheep, I'm talking now the Hebrew-Israel way of looking after their sheep. The sheep had learned to trust and stay with the shepherd. It was these pesky lambs that, you know, leap and jump all over the place and disappear over the edge of the precipice. Um, these were the ones I had to go looking for. So when they found them around their neck, tie their legs together, that sheep is going to learn, this is where you belong. And he would whisper in the ear of the sheep, the the head would be right here, he would whisper the name of the sheep, for every sheep in the flock had a pet name. And, And that little lamb would learn its name, it would learn the safety of the shepherd, it would learn that around his neck I'm always being fed, Oh, yeah. This taken into the feast. And of course, if I read it, you know, um, without stopping, the, the sheep lamb was still around the neck of the shepherd when he comes and calls everybody to rejoice. Um, this lamb is the, that's a celebration. We're celebrating God's grace in the lamb. We're celebrating the lamb has been rescued and found. I don't want to push this too far. But I remember when I went through, when I was in Sunday school and accepted Christ as far as I knew in those days, what what did they tell me? That's so important. Because I found out they they keep telling you the same thing, whatever age you are. Um, They told me, now that you've, you've come to Christ that you have to read your Bible every day, pray for 15 minutes or so, and um, go to church. That was it. (sighs) Did you realize that tells me that this Christianity is something for students? Supposing you can't read. Um... I mean, I'm making myself clear. I'm not against the Bible. Please, you know that. I memorized the Bible from 17 to 30. I, I'm immersed. I baptized my brain in the Scripture. I'm not against the Bible. But please don't replace the Bible with the relationship that we are called to. You don't tell a new convert to read the Bible. wouldn't make any sense to them anyway because uh, they usually start at Genesis. Um, what is this? What are we talking about? Are we talking about freedom from punishment and freedom? And now I know eternally I'll go to heaven. Is that it? We, we are called to a now, experience now, of relationship, fellowship with the shepherd and in the shepherd with the father. 
And you know the definition. You all know the definition of eternal life. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they may know, and that word means experientially, intimately, know the Father and the Son. It's got nothing to do with living forever. That That is a, the mistranslation of the word eternal. It, it, it means that now... I enter into a relationship with the Father and the Son. I enter into fellowship. And at the center of that fellowship is this feast that comes to us from the very words of Jesus at the Last Supper. He brought us, brought the sheep to where all the other sheep were that were dependent. Apparently there were a bunch of sheep that thought they were okay without his help. And he left them in the wilderness. You can't force sheep to get found. And so here's a bunch of dependent lambs. They've all got lost and found. And they all come to this feast of rejoicing that celebrates the grace that is toward them. So that means we're not found by the shepherd to then live an isolated life. Do you know what I mean? There, there is a certain trend, especially today, for isolation. That um, Many people said, I've had it with the church. I, I just worship God, you know, under a, a tree by the river. Um, I, I isolated piety. And, of course, we, we had it in centuries past. You go and sit on the top of a rock for the rest of your life and um, be disconnected because you're so holy, of course. You don't, you don't want to get tarnished by, by others. Look, let's face it. Seriously, I can't do without you. I, I can't do without you. I was talking to a, a friend of mine who his entire um, ministry is over the internet. And I asked him, how do you do that? I mean, there's a time to talk to the camera and thank God for Zoom and thank God for all of you guys out there. But I need, I need to hear what you're saying, and I do. John's a good reporter. And... Um, I need, I need your your embrace. I need to touch you, and I need to be touched. Uh, I can't do without you, and that's an honest statement. We were not called to isolation. I was not called just to pray on my balcony every morning and forget the world. It's I need you. I need you even when you're not living so hot. I need you. I need another broken sheep behind me sometimes. It's And to share with them grace, and in sharing grace, feel that same grace myself. He took, he took the isolate, the lamb that had gone into separation, the lamb that had gone into its stupid darkness, the lamb that was isolated, and he brought it not only to safety, but to fellowship. The fellowship in which he, the shepherd, was the center of it. So we're rescued to come into the fellowship of the shepherd and discover the flock that he loves and that we now share grace with. 
we, we still, we're on his shoulder, as every other sheep there is, and we, we participate in his life. It comes down to we share his faith. See, it isn't just that he saved me. I literally share in the faith of Jesus. His faith, his faith, the faith of the shepherd. Because believe me, the faith that came searching is the faith of God. When, when, the, when God became incarnate solely to find us and bring us into fellowship, that, that was the faith of God. And, and the faith of God that found us and the cost of finding us. What took Jesus through his sufferings? What took him through the shedding of his blood in order to find us. And that's a faith. It says that he, he was enabled by the Holy Spirit to, to go through with that. And, and he saw, faith saw, for the joy that was set before him, for the joy of finally getting his hands on you and hugging you. I found my sheep. Yeah. That, that's, that, that's the faith of God that he could actually joy in finding us before he found us. And, and, and the faith of God that would go into death itself. God entered into death in the faith that he would come out bringing you with him. You understand me? Don't, don't tell me you were saved by your faith, good grief. You, you were saved by the faith of Jesus. And Romans 5 says that. Galatians 2 says that. Even though modern translations have X'd that out, but it's there. We're saved by the faith of Jesus Christ. And now, so, so you say, well, don't I have to have faith? Oh, yes, yes. We, we trust. We believe. But what do we trust? We trust his faith. We trust he did it. My, my faith is not a contribution to make this happen. My faith is in his faith that happened it. <laughs> yeah. Look, I know I'm, I'm speaking to the choir, but think of that shepherd coming to where the sheep is. It says when he found that he rejoiced, and when he was in the process of saving the sheep, um, he was rejoicing. There was a lot of rejoicing in the wilderness when he found the sheep. But there's not one suggestion that the shepherd says, now I'm going to rescue you if you, you're sorry enough. You know, are you really sorry for what you've done? Have you repented? Oh. Seriously, I... I don't want to push it, but it's there. You, you follow this through the shepherd, the shepherd, the shepherd, the shepherd did it. And the sheep just stands there receiving it. You know, do you really want to make this decision, little sheep? Yeah. Do you want to come home? Or would you prefer to stay in the wilderness? Because I can only save you if you really want what I'm giving, you know. No, sheep had nothing to do with it. Shepherd said, I'm here to save you. 
period. He didn't even say to the sheep, follow me. Well, he did say that to others, but when he's speaking here to the Pharisees of this metanoia, see it, see it. This is the God. This is his salvation. No, he didn't say follow me. He became so one with the, sh- the lamb around his neck, but if you had seen them from a distance, you would, it would look like one person. You, you, it wouldn't be a silhouette. They became inseparably one. It was a seamless relationship around his neck. No. You are here by the initiative, by the faith, by the incredible, amazing, inescapable love of the Good Shepherd. Now, can you imagine the meal of celebration? This shepherd has already been doing a dance out in the wilderness. But now they come home to this meal. I mean, stop any sort of religion where, where this is all terribly solemn. How can it be solemn? The shepherd's going nuts. And the lamb on his shoulder is being spun around too. He's excited. And I don't apologize. I'm not reading that into it. Read the story a few hundred times and you'll feel the excitement of this shepherd. He loves you. He likes you. That's another word in the Greek, phileo. But Jesus said in John, what was it, 16, the father phileos you, which means he not only agape, but he likes you. He's fond of you. He loves being with you. You're his best friend. And he's anticipated this meal with you around his neck ever since he went into the wilderness and says, until, that is, you won't see me again until I come back with that lamb. (laughs) Or put it, he's eager to spend time with you. He's cleared his schedule to be with you. And he's not going to get a phone call and look at you concerned and say, I, I really have to take this. Please understand. That's what we call the Eucharist. It's, it's a meal of extreme joy on the part of the Holy Trinity and on our part. So, We're totally relaxed in the presence of such welcome. We're ready to laugh. Everybody else is. We speak our mind without fear as we hang on every word he says. We're ready for another meal like this. That's the center of this story. The center is where it's all going. Where the lost and the broken are now found. And they're in the process now of being healed. We're all gathered on the shepherd's shoulder. And we're waking up to the realization we're beloved. We're the friends of the Holy Trinity. 
that's when religion is marked off. That that was the great marker between the younger brother and the elder brother in the last parable. The younger brother simply yields. You remember that? I mean, obviously you do. He'd come home with his sinner's prayer speech and woven into it is his suggested punishment. Um, you know, make me as one of your hired slaves. And you remember how when he tried to say that, the father shut him up, wouldn't hear it, and says, you are my son. And there's no more, nothing, another word from the younger brother. That's it. He yields to it. And he lets them put on the party robe and shoes on his feet and ring on his hand and now let us walk into the feast together. And it's all he yields to it. Yes, I take it. Um, he becomes vulnerable to the love of the Father, to his kindness. He goes in and um, the elder brother wouldn't. Sticks his feet in for sure. Absolutely won't budge even though that in that day was a greater crime than the younger one walking off with all the money. Wow. That what the elder brother did is found in the book of Proverbs where he's called the foolish son. Uh, I mean, what the younger brother did was one thing, but this the elder brother did was to shame his father in front of the whole village. But he wouldn't go in. That's not for him. Because it would mean the elder brother could hardly put words in his mouth. For me to go in there would be number one to say yes and amen to what my father did. Treat this scumbag with nothing but gifts and grace. I don't go in there. I cannot have anything to do with it. As far as I'm concerned, he's your son, not my brother. But the second thing as elder brother, the custom was he would have to serve his younger brother. No, no, serve him. No, I don't go in there. I cannot stand on level ground with my younger brother. I did it right. He did it wrong. And my heaven will be his hell. And if he doesn't go to hell, then I don't want to go to heaven. I've never met people like that. And it was all over the feast, you see. It wasn't I'll meet you in the barn or let's go and sit down in the living room. It was this feast. That's what enraged the elder brother. The publicly, the father would treat the younger son at a feast as his son, forgiven, robed in a beautiful robe, and sit down as the honored guest, while the elder brother outside in the darkness is shouting, punish him, punish him. He's got to pay for this. And the father says, son, it is necessary that you go into that feast. It's how the family works. So this is not only the fellowship of the beloved, this is the fellowship of wonder. Yes, 
The Trinity came to rescue you. We, we, we have said many times before, you know, um, a lost, the value of a lost is understood by the way the lost is found. So a lost thing is one thing, but a lost child brings the whole village to find it. To save you brought the whole Trinity. God the Father's unbegun, unending desire, the Son ready and willing to become one of us and enter into our darkness and the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and dance with you for joy. Fellowship of wonder. I've discovered my true family, which includes you, but we stand in the family of the Holy Trinity. Put it this way. When religion gathers, it is to declare that they are right. When believing lambs gather, it is to rest in the fellowship of the beloved. Right? You understand me? You are not here because you believe what I believe. Our fellowship is not on being right. Our fellowship is, we're all on the shepherd's shoulder. That's that's the basis of fellowship. It's a party that honors the celebration of the shepherd's compassion, his patience, his relentless love that wouldn't quit. And, of course, it, it arises from that, the value he has placed on the lambs. So it was not only about the shepherd, but it was about he's rescued the lamb because of the value he placed on that lamb. The lamb is found, the lamb is alive, it's resurrected, it's restored to where it belonged. Yeah. The sheep, the lamb, would not be there but for the shepherd. This is when I say, though you know this inside and out, Think about it, because it applies to every part of life. And I'm not being unkind when I say that if there'd been testimony time at that feast, and the shepherd, the sheep rather, testifies of how I found the shepherd. Are you daft? You found the shepherd? Where were you? What universe do you live in? And you decided to follow him and make him my savior and shepherd. Well, well, well. (laughs) Now, I say, you know, that sounds kind of snarky. But I tell you, I was raised with that. Actually, that's how you give your testimony. I found the Lord. Or what was that? Well, maybe some of you are too young to remember, but there was a thing where everybody put it on their bumper stickers. I found it. Do you remember that? Yeah, a long time ago. I found it. Yeah. Wake up. If he hadn't found you, you couldn't find him. If he hadn't come into the wilderness with the absolute decision, 
until I find your decision is not worth the air that gives it. No, this is the meal of dependent lambs. And the trust is that freefall that we talk about, freefall. I don't know where this is going to take me. I just freefall. And for some people that's terrifying because I'm letting go of all that I leaned on to prove to God I'm worthy of saving. And I just freefall. Well, I think that's about it. Um, it's interesting. I had a very different message. I prepared this one before breakfast this morning. <laughs> um, because I, it was a burden on me, these two words. Get these two words. The metanoia. That this story is given to give you metanoia. To show you the sheep had nothing to do with it except to yield and respond. And then secondly, it all ended in the feast, the Eucharist of Thanksgiving. That's where it's all going. And that's where the rejoicing of the believer is found to be. Amen. amen. And amen.